Beth, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. I know before the show, we were just chatting about the time of recording is approaching midterms for everyone. So I'm sure you are swamped and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So currently you are the Assistant Teaching Professor of Business Communication at Carnegie Mellon School of Business. And I'm so curious to dive into not only how you got into this role, what a typical day in the life of a professor looks like, but really into the core of business communications because this past year, that's been one of the things I've personally been working on. I just realized I said, I think every problem stems from communication. And so I'm like, okay, we got to find the best person to talk to. Cause I think whether it's in our personal relationships, our work relationships, or how we're trying to get our point across, communication is that underlying thread that we all have to practice and grow in. So I feel like you're a high in demand person for what you do. <laughs> well, certainly communication is something that is a lifelong learning for most of us. It's it's not a skill that we can just sort of pick up in a short course and say, okay, I've got this and I'm I'm done. It's it's a lifelong learning process. And I think in part that's what attracted me to studying it in, in an academic context and, and wanting to help others through that process. So, you know, I started out um, in performance arts and was a ballet dancer for many years and turned to studying philosophy and rhetoric as an undergrad and started my own business and eventually ended up here as a professor of business communication. And I think all of those experiences helped me to appreciate how critical it is to work on refining your communication skills throughout the various stages of your career. Yeah, I love the diversity of experiences you've had. I'm also a career changer, started in performing arts. So I started in piano performance before I got into neuroscience, then got deeper into the sciences, went into data science. As you look back with performing arts and running your own business and then and studying rhetoric and then going and becoming a professor, out of all of those options, is there one that you're like, hey, this is where I learned the most about communication? Well, certainly, I think as a, as a small business owner and, and starting my own business from the ground up would probably be the place where I learned the most. Having to think about multiple stakeholders and, and making quick decisions on the spot and preserving customer relationships, all of those things were really challenging and I, I had never done it before. So I sort of threw myself in head first and, you know, made a lot of mistakes and learn from those mistakes and, you know, was able to then sort of catalog some of those learnings in, in my mind. And, and, and I use those things and share those kinds of stories with my students today. So it's great for them to have, to be able to hear about, you know, some of the, the pitfalls that I encountered and, and the things that I learned as I worked through all of those different relationships, you know, talking with employees and talking with customers and, you know, building the, the business over the course of 14 years that I was the owner. So today you teach a class, Fitness Communication for Data Analytics. I can see how your experience being a business owner, I'm sure, influences this class a lot. 
but having that in the lot of spy or teaching is is business communication different when you're communicating analytical problems or analytical insights? For sure it is. And, and you know, so many businesses that I work with and that I consult for talk about a failure to get a, a good return on investment in their analytical work. And I start to dissect, well, what are some of the problems? And, and what we often find out is that data insights aren't communicated in, a, in the way that they should be or as effectively as they could be. And so it's one thing to have all this information, all this analytics at your fingertips, but it's another thing to communicate it in ways that help business decision makers not only feel motivated to take action, but also persuaded to take action. So, you know, in that class, I really try to focus on helping students understand not just what their purpose is when they're leading a meeting or giving a presentation, but also understanding that data insights are a lot more than just presenting the information you have. It, it has to be weaved into a larger narrative that, that speaks to the, the values and the business strategies and the mission of your organization. So when you talk to your students about communicating data analytics, what are the common pitfalls you see them initially making? So, because I'm, I'm guessing you have assignments and they have to start to, you know, practice their work. What are the, the most common areas when you're beginning communicating these analytical problems that you see people make? Yeah, two things that we see people do quite frequently is communicate too much information or fail to communicate the right information. And by the right information, I mean the information that stakeholders need to know to make those informed business decisions. So many times analysts communicate and, and they get maybe a little bit too granular or they talk about, here's the process that I used to get this information, or here's the different methods that I used or the different tests that I ran. And for many executive decision-making audiences, that's information that they aren't interested in or they don't really understand or they don't want, they don't have the time to, to process. So what, what an executive audience is more, more often than not looking for are outcomes. You know, what are the outcomes from the analysis that you did? And how do you interpret those in context with problems or challenges that we've been facing, you know, at, at the strategic level or whatever it might be? So I think most analysts could understand this, or a lot of us, I think, have been in a situation where we presented information and we can start to see eyes glaze over, people start getting distracted. We can feel that happening. And at that point we know, okay, we're communicating too much information. What do we do? How do we change this? But what, if someone wants to practice this, how do they go from saying, okay, I know I have all this information, but I'm struggling with, how do I boil it down to what are those essential things I need to share? Any tips for, kind of boiling down your presentation? Is it like no more than five slides? I mean, are we doing things with like removing words? What's, what's kind of a best practice there? 
if there is one. Well, short, you know, the short stories, you're always removing information because, you know, <laughs> analysts work with seemingly infinite amounts of information and audiences have limited time and limited cognitive space. So you're always in the process of removing information. But I think there are three, really three key things that you can do to, to practice more effective communication. And the first thing is know your purpose going into the presentation or the meeting that you're leading. What is your goal? Not in terms of what do you want, but in terms of what does your audience need to get from you? What is it that they need? And be really clear about that and be able to answer that in one sentence or less. My audience needs to know about X or they need to understand the options that we have available here, or they need to think differently about this issue and be really clear about what that goal is and how you're gonna get there. So that's the first thing to do. I think the second thing to do is to think about what are the two or three main pieces of information that are gonna help you get your audience to that goal. So being clear about the goal and then coming up with two or three at the most main pieces of information that are going to be most critical in getting you to that goal. And then the last thing is to make sure that you present the information in a way that not only your audience can understand, but that they can internalize it and remember it. And so that's why in a, in a class like business communication for analysts, we emphasize storytelling and we emphasize narrative structure. And we like to use this framework called SCR, where, you know, present to me, what's the, what's the status quo or what's the situation that we're dealing with? And what's an underlying complication that's making this situation particularly challenging for us? And then what do the analytics reveal to us about what our possible solutions can be? And that's a three-part structure with a sort of a, you know, a, a scene and then a, a tension that then needs to be resolved the way that you, you would see in a movie or a book or a story. We, we try to encourage analysts to use that kind of problem-solution structure to help audiences process information and retain information. One of the things you mentioned was not only knowing you know, what the purpose is that you're trying to communicate, but what is that purpose to your audience? And so it brings up a question I have, which is how do you change your communication style based on audience? Is there different ways you need to communicate to an executive audience versus a technical team versus, you know, individual contributors and peers? And how do we make sure that we're delivering the right style for our audience? Well, I think with a lot of the students that we work with here at, at Tepper Business School, we, we emphasize that there's a contrast between communicating with experts and communicating with non-experts. And more often than not, our students are, are struggling to communicate with non-expert, but you know, highly intelligent, highly accomplished business professionals who may not have the same level of expertise or understanding of, of subject matter that they do. And so we really emphasize that with non-experts, 
Keep it simple, keep it concise. Use a bottom line upfront approach. So in other words, lean more on deductive reasoning rather than inductive reasoning. Tell us the bottom line and then give us a little bit about the rationale or the, the, the way that you got there. But don't start with process and don't get too heavy into the weeds of the process and then tell us what the conclusion is. Start with the, the, the bottom line, more big picture, more emphasis on the big picture and less details with an expert audience, with a non-expert audience, I'm sorry. But you know, if you do have a, a situation where you're gonna talk to an expert or a more technical audience, then I tell students, you know, feel free to go with more industry-specific language, be more topic-specific, and you can get a little bit more granular and a little bit more into process because that kind of audience will appreciate that. I love those steps and mainly just because it, what's bringing coming up to mind is some tips that people share in content creation a lot. So, you know, for those who want to become influencers or content creators, you know, and we're creating these short form video, one of the biggest things they would share is like, start with the hook, right? Start with the thing that's going to get people engaged. And it's funny because we can actually take some of that and apply it to the way we communicate analytical problems or our insights from our analysis to that executive audience. Start with that key finding, right? Get them excited because I think all of us, our attention spans are getting smaller and smaller. So we need to grab our audience quickly and right away and then allow those details to unfold and the questions to happen. But I love that tip of really starting with that key insight to begin with. So another Absolutely. thing you mentioned at the beginning was not all of us, you know, get the opportunity to practice our communication. We're not born expert communicators, although you know, we're prone to learning language from a young age very easily, but then it kind of seems like it tapers off after we learn basic communication styles. So how do we improve our communication? Because I think this is something I know I've struggled with, something I do every day, but I don't really feel like I have a good measurement of like, am I becoming better? And what steps am I taking to improve my communication? So how do you start to measure it and how do you start to practice communication improvement? Yeah, I mean, that's a really important question. It's, it's not helpful to just sort of know the best practices. I mean, that's the first step. And, and we do a lot of talking about best practices in, in our courses here. But really effective communicators are a product of conditioning. and. Is I, I tell people you've got to condition almost the way an athlete conditions. And some, and, and you know, you might, there might be some daily reps that you want to do. And, and I give people this exercise called think at it speak to make them a little more concise and articulate when they're when they're talking in a meeting or when they're talking just even one-on-one -on -one with someone. And and the goal of the exercise is to listen to what the other person is saying and really understand it, not just hear it, but understand it. And then make sure that you then start to formulate your response and finish editing your response before you start to speak. And if you practice doing that, giving yourself enough space 
to edit your response before you start talking. You will get faster and faster at doing that and you will need less time. So this is a kind of conditioning that we can do. There are also ways to condition your mindset and ways to condition yourself physically so that you are using your whole body when you're talking, that you're incorporating meaningful nonverbal cues. So first part of your question, you know, it really is a matter of conditioning and regular practice to the point where you build some muscle memory. But then the other part, important part of your question was, how do you know when you're making progress and how is that measured? And there are two ways really to do that. One is making sure that the way you communicate and the style in which you communicate is targeted to your audience and in alignment with your brand, who you are as, as a leader or as a, as a team member. And then, of course, the way that you figure out if, if that's in, in alignment is a lot of self-assessment, a lot of self-reflection, but also a lot of soliciting feedback from others. And to get good feedback from others, you have to ask open-ended questions. You can't just say, was, did I do good in that meeting last week? Was, was everything clear? And you'll get a yes, no response, which isn't going to be helpful to you. <laughs> so you have to say things like, what did you think about the strategy I presented at last Friday's meeting? Was it insightful for cross-functional teams? Was it targeted to maybe more to one team or another? Was it clear? What was your takeaway from the strategy that I presented? And see what kind of responses you get. And then you start to understand whether or not you're, ha you're having the impact that you intend to have when you're communicating. Oh, that's such a great tip on the question asking because you know, if you ask a close-ended question, the other side of things is I think most of us are nice and no one's going to say, no, you did a terrible job, right? And then we're all wondering like, what? I never get any feedback. What is going on? Why never is no one giving me feedback? And so just that simple tip of shifting the type of question you're asking can provide so many insights and so many great results. So I'm really looking Absolutely. forward to starting to use Absolutely. that technique. Yeah, doing doing that and also knowing what kind of feedback you're looking for. So it's not it's not that you want to you you want to you know direct the kinds of responses that you get, but are you looking for feedback on conciseness? Are you looking for feedback on you know, structuring, how you structure your messages. Are you looking for feedback on delivery? Maybe all three, but you have to ask questions that are very targeted to getting specific comments on those particular communication skills. So we've talked a little bit about presenting to executive audience, technical audiences, et cetera. But what, what about if we're looking to develop more of an executive presence ourselves or you know, maybe we've mastered how to communicate analytical problems to different audiences, but now we'd like to become keynote speakers, right? And you mentioned the way you use your body and the tone of how you're talking can all play a role in terms of our communication style. Is there, would you define this as like an executive presence and, and how would you define executive presence? 
Well, executive presence is often associated with things like, you know, public speaking skills or how charismatic can you be in front of an audience? And, and really those kinds of definitions don't, don't begin to scratch the surface of, of what executive presence is in a real corporate setting. I like to think of executive presence as someone's ability to navigate the complexities of advocating for yourself and your own voice and, 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 and things that you want to achieve and things you want to do while also being able to help others do the same and being able to have a voice that is supportive of the team that you're working with or that you're working in. So it, for me, it always boils down to this, this kind of struggle between two very innate human desires, which is to have one's own voice heard, but also to, to belong to a group and to feel part of a group. And someone who is really good at navigating that dynamic in a professional setting or even in a personal setting is someone who elevates their presence automatically, who has what we might refer to as gravitas, right? So like I said before, it's something that can be conditioned for, but it takes a very holistic approach. It's not just about being a great public speaker. It's also about being someone who really is clear on who they are and how their values line up with the work that they have to do on a daily basis. You know, so there's, there's so much more to it than just the delivery of a, of a speech. And it's something that I, I really enjoy working with corporate clients. I have a lot of corporate clients who come to me for coaching on executive presence. And this is something that we, we dig very deeply into is, you know, what's your, what are your core values and, and how do you communicate those? And how do you help others do the same when you're working in teams? And, and, and you know, this kind of reflection and practice is, is what helps you to, to start to develop that kind of presence that you're talking about. Now, the word that stands out to me when you define executive presence is advocating. And that's not a word I would have associated originally with executive presence, but I think it's a word that one that our audience will be attracted to. And I think as women, we are attracted to it. And I know myself, I'm very attracted to the word advocating because there's many problems in the world that I want to advocate for. And I want to advocate, you know, as you mentioned, with my own unique individuality, but belonging to part of those groups. So in that term, how do we improve then our executive presence so that we do have that ability to strategically and effectively advocate? Well, it's a combination of, of communication skill and, and, and part of that is the ability to, to speak pers persuasively, but maybe also, you know, write persuasively if you're communicating more in writing and knowing how to build a strong case for something using not only the evidence and the analytics and the data and the facts, but also being able to appeal to the emotional side of your audience and, and what motivates them and the values that are important and things that are important to them. So 
I mean, I think that's the first sort of step in the process of being able to advocate well, really knowing who you are, but also knowing who your audiences are and what motivates them and what's important to them and what problems they want to solve, right? So taking it a little bit back to where we started with your journey into performing arts and now to teaching business communications, are there things that you learned from your experience in performing arts that you use today? And how do you merge those multiple parts of yourselves together? Well, I think when I started at a really young age learning dance, that helped me to have a, a self-awareness. And I, and I think I see young people today too, learning to play an instrument or, or learning a sport and being part of a team and, and working with others to, to create something artistic. It, it gives you a sense of self-awareness, but also an awareness of others that, that kind of evolves into empathy that is really critical for being a good communicator. You know, that ability to empathize with others and to listen carefully, to be aware of what you're doing in time and space and how that's affecting the people who are immediately around you. So for me, dance was sort of the initial way that I think I started to, to develop that awareness of self and others. And I also think that when you learn a sport or you learn a performance art, you you are always constantly pushing yourself outside your comfort zone to master the next level, right? Oh, I learned this kind of dance, so now I want to learn a, a harder form of dance. Or I, you know, I I got to this level in in sports, and now I want it to get to this level. So. Both of those things are things that I rely on, I think, all the time. And, and I, I use to, to help students become better communicators as a whole. I, I love it. I think that's a great, you're, you're selling me on why we should all learn a performing art and use it as a way to influence our communication style as well. So. If you're looking for something new to explore, maybe it's time to start to explore dance. Maybe it's time to learn that instrument. Maybe it's time to take a theater class. I've been exploring, do I want to learn comedy? Is that something that I want to do? And I think that would really help my communication style. So I think those are excellent tips for us to end on today in terms of some fun ways that we can practice our communication and learn to be effective advocates and communicators for what's important to each of us. So before we wrap up today, we would like to have a little bit of fun on the podcast too with some rapid fire questions. So if you're ready, we can All dive right. into some quick questions. Oh, sure. Okay. All right. What song, podcast, or book can you not put down right now? Well, I've been I've been reading How to Stand Up to a Dictator by Maria Ressa, who was the um, founder of the Rappler News Network and formerly a CNN reporter. It's just, I'm just intrigued and absolutely fascinated by her, her resilience. Can't put it down. I love it. Favorite place you've traveled? Favorite place I've traveled? Well, hands down, it has to be Coast in Italy. It's, it's the place that I always want to go back to. 
<laughs> happiness is. Mm, that's a hard one, right? Happiness is. First thing that comes to my mind right now at the end of a long day. Happiness is my rescue golden doodle, Stanley. Like he's, he's the best to come home to the wagging tail and the, you know, <laughs> he's always happy. <laughs> I regret to the club, like I think it was Charlie Brown. And I was like, happiness is warm, comfy. And I always, I, yes, I know, I know. I think that's what I was thinking of. That's a bad question. <laughs> When you have to get your puppy and then they grow old. And so, you know, right. happiness is a happy dog to come home to. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> In the next five years, I hope to. Oh, wow. In the next five years, I, I mean, I hope to continue to be making a difference for students in their professional lives and in their personal lives. That's the thing that that gets me out of bed every morning. So I hope to be, I have to be still doing it. <laughs> That's a great feeling to have. And last question to me, curiosity is. Curiosity, curiosity. Well, this, go, this is gonna go back to my days as a philosophy student a little bit, I think. But to me, curiosity is knowing that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And maybe being comfortable with that feeling, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, the constant, you know, constantly seeking the next question that needs to be asked, for sure. Well, Beth, I have had an amazing time chatting with you. I've learned some new tips in our conversation. I'm excited to ask more open-ended questions and change my perspective on an executive presence. We will be putting your information in show notes if individuals want to reach out to you. And if individuals want to take your class business communication for data analytics, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, that course is, is part of a grad level degree program that we offer here. We recently, we ranked number one in our online program. So there's an online program in Masters of Science in Business Analytics, and that is a required course in that program. But there's also another program that's full-time. If anyone's interested in doing full-time studies in business analytics, we recently launched a full-time program. The same course is a required course in that program as well. So you could visit the Tepper Business School SBA homepage, Master of Science in Business Analytics, to find out more about that particular program and the curriculum, and you'll see, see my course pop up there. Excellent. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Again, I want to say thank you for coming oh. on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Sadie. I enjoyed talking with you. And to our audience, a big thank you. Remember to stay curious and keep learning. And we will catch you next time on the Data Bytes Podcast. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Data Bytes Podcast. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.